Galatians chapter 5. We're uh, in verses 19 to 26 this morning as we continue to work our way through Galatians. And uh, if you're using the Bibles in the seats, you should find that on around page 825 or thereabouts. Galatians 5, 19 to 26. Have you ever watched the news recently and gotten depressed about the world today? (laughs) Maybe afraid, maybe anxious. There's so much trouble, right? So much strife, so much darkness. Lying politicians, politicians and media personalities and various celebrities savaging one another um, over social media instead of trying to work together. Political and ideological enemies shooting at each other, sometimes literally. Other countries which want to blow us up, terrorists which want to run us over. Elite thinkers who disdain religious beliefs and want to punish those who hold them who say that anything goes, there are no moral values. And of course, the many poor and marginalized who are often caught in the political crossfires and who are always the ones to suffer the most. Where's the world headed? Well, I have good news for us this morning. And that is that in the end, love wins. In the end, love wins. Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, they win out in the end. In the end, people who live this way, a culture and society which is this way, will prevail. That's the good news of the gospel. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom led and shaped by Jesus. It's coming. And one day it will overcome all and hold sway over all of God's creation. And guess what? We who follow Jesus Christ are invited to start living like it now. In the midst of the tension, in the midst of the battle between opposing kingdoms, we are invited to live the way of love the way of God's kingdom now. Last Sunday, we saw Paul describe the tension between two ways of life, two kingdoms. Paul described one kingdom as the flesh, and he described the other as the spirit. The the one is is flesh in the sense that it's very human. It's characterized by, by human weakness and human desires, many of them selfish, many of them out of control. The The other is... Spirit, in the sense that it's God-directed and God-empowered as God's Spirit, God's breath, comes in power and creates something new. Paul says in verse 17, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. There's a battle going on between the fleshly way, the, the fleshly kingdom, And the spirit way, the spirit kingdom. And we experience that battle right within our own selves, don't we? Several days ago, I got home from work and I walked into the kitchen and Anne said something to me. I don't even remember what it was anymore. 
but it struck me at the time as, as critical. And, and my immediate reaction was to get my back up, to think, here I am, I just got home, and the first thing I hear is her criticizing me. She doesn't appreciate all the good things I do. Why is she being so cranky? But then I also had this other thought inside that maybe she has a point. <laughs> maybe I let her down. Maybe I should listen to what she's trying to say to me. And so right there was the battle between the flesh and the spirit going on inside of me. You know this battle that I'm talking about? Well, whether it's the battle in our own lives or it's the battle out there in the world, I have good news for us this morning. In the end, the kingdom of the spirit, the way of love, is going to win the battle. And so here's Paul's challenge to the Galatians and to us in today's passage. Start living in the way of the Spirit now. Start living in the way of love. Join the winning team. Because the church, the community of those who follow Jesus, we are supposed to be the one place that you could go to taste what the way of love, the, the kingdom of the Spirit is like. The one place that you could go to get a taste now of what heaven will be like. That's why some of us bring it to a place called Murphy's, because they're not coming here to taste it. But we want them to taste it. We're supposed to be the people who have left behind the way of the flesh and, and are living instead in the way of the Spirit. Well, in today's passage, Paul lays out the contrast between the two. He, he begins by describing the way of the flesh, and then he describes the way of the Spirit. And the way Paul does this, it's like he's hanging up two portraits. One for each way, for each kingdom. And if we could put the first slide up here, Paul gives each portrait a title. And then at the bottom, he adds a comment. Here's the title as we first look at the way of the flesh. The acts of the flesh are obvious. And then Paul lists a bunch of them, not all of them, there are plenty of others, but he gives us a representative sample. And Paul organizes them into four groupings. The first has to do with sexual desires, which are run amok, which are not in keeping with the beautiful and good way that God teaches us to enjoy sex within a committed marriage. The second group has to do with the religious realm, with uh, running after other spiritual sources besides Jesus Christ to get information, to get power, to seek help, to satisfy our spiritual hunger. The third group then has to do with how we get along with others or don't get along. And, and this is by far the longest of the four lists, as you can see. Either because this is the one the Galatians were having the most trouble with, or maybe because it's always the one that religious people have the most trouble with getting along with each other. And then fourth, the last grouping has to do with our physical appetites, with food and drink. This is all stuff that many of us are familiar with, and so Paul says these acts should be obvious. These are all natural desires which bubble up within us and threaten to rule our lives and to shape our society, to drive our economy, perhaps. But here's the thing Paul says, warning at the bottom of the portrait, big warning, this fleshly way of life, this fleshly kingdom is coming to an end. It's going to lose out in the end. 
And so if you continue to live this way, you're a goner with it. Because in the end, God's kingdom, the kingdom led by the Spirit, the kingdom built on love is going to prevail. So if you live the way of the flesh, you have no future. Now let's pause a second and consider something very important about Paul's warning here. Because Paul has just spent almost five chapters drumming home to us the fact that our place in God's good graces, God's kingdom, God's family, is not based on our keeping God's commandments, right? But now Paul turns around and says, if you live by the the acts of the flesh, you won't inherit a place in God's kingdom. How can this be? Is Paul contradicting himself? Well, no, he's not, because Paul has never, ever said that morality doesn't matter. No, morality is of the utmost importance to Paul. It's just that what Paul has been driving at is this. Being moral, living a moral life, isn't what earns you a place in God's good graces. And further, trying to keep God's law as a way of achieving morality is not the way to go about it anyway. So in other words, what Paul is saying is that good works don't earn us a relationship with God, but rather they flow from a relationship with God. Because once your faith is in Jesus Christ and you're following him, once you're a part of God's family, guess what God's family is about? We're about living a whole new way of life. We're about learning to live in the way of love. We're about being children who who come to better reflect and to resemble our heavenly father and what God is like, not by keeping a list of rules, but by having a new heart, a heart that's shaped and led by God's spirit. The the law could never get us there. It, It could never make us have a heart like God's heart, although it pleaded with us to do so. The the law could tell us don't do this and and don't do that, but the law couldn't keep our hearts from saying, but I want to do that. That's why Paul says now, Um, in verse 24, realizing um, that the the reason the law failed was because our hearts were full of the desires of the flesh. And so now he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. For those who belong to Christ, the flesh is still talking, but we're no longer listening. The, The flesh is still desiring But we're not acting on those desires anymore. We're we're dead to the flesh. We've crucified it. Now instead, we let the Spirit lead us. The Spirit who can not only tell us what's right, but who can move our hearts to want to do it. The Spirit who can cause our hearts to beat with the drumbeat of the new kingdom which is coming. With, with the way of love, which is going to win in the end. That's who God's people are. We're, we're, we're those who, who are learning to live by faith, by, by the Spirit, in the way of the kingdom of God, the way of love, the way that is coming and will one day conquer all. And so Paul, go, Paul goes on now and gives us a second portrait, if we could put up the next slide. This is a portrait of the way of the Spirit. 
uh, Paul titles this one, The Fruit of the Spirit. Fruit, singular, in the original Greek. Not fruits, but fruit. Why? Well, because these aren't distinct, separate qualities. Rather, they're all interrelated. And, And what that means is that the fruit of the Spirit involves growing in all of these, not just one or two. Because many people are already good at one or two of these. Some of us are particularly patient with other people, or as it's translated here, forbearing. Uh, we don't fly off the handle. We don't get fed up pretty, pr- very easily. We're, we're patient. We're nonplussed. Others of us have great self-control. We get up early each morning. We go for a jog. We take night classes. We don't eat sweets. But being good at, at one or two of these isn't the fruit of the Spirit. Being good at one or two of these is just a personality strength. Maybe we were born with it, or or maybe it was instilled in us from our upbringing. And it's great that we have this virtue. But when the Spirit bears fruit in our lives, we grow in all of these. Not all at once, not in equal measure. It's messier than that, but slowly and surely, over time, we grow in all of them. Because all of these, in one way or another, are expressions of the first one. Love. That's why I once heard someone describe the fruit of the Spirit this way. Joy. Joy is love in delight. Peace. Peace is love in conflict. Forbearance. Forbearance is love on trial. Kindness. Kindness is love in society. Goodness. Goodness is love in action. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is love in endurance. Gentleness. Gentleness is love at school. And self-control is love in discipline. Let me say those again and explain them a little bit. Joy is love in delight. It's love enjoying what it loves. Peace is, is love in conflict. Paul isn't talking so much here about internal peace, like that peaceful, easy feeling that the eagles sang about. No, Paul is talking about peace in our relationships. And more than that, a taste of of the coming peace on earth. Love in conflict. Love overcoming conflict. Next, forbearance, which is love on trial. It's putting up with difficult people who get under our skin and drive us up a wall. Forbearance is what Abraham Lincoln was talking about when one day a carpenter came to his house to do some work And after spending 15 minutes putting up with Lincoln's notoriously difficult wife, the carpenter was ready to leave and quit the job. And and Honest Abe replied, Surely you can endure for 15 minutes what I've endured for 15 years. (laughs) That's forbearance. Love on trial. Next is kindness. It's love in society. This Greek word, translated kindness is more than just being nice. It it means generous. It means big-hearted, willing to bless others with what is good. Love in society. Next is goodness, love in action. It generally means doing good to people any chance you get. Then faithfulness, love in endurance. In the New Testament, this word is almost always directed toward God. So this one probably means faithful devotion to God, faithful commitment to God. Not only when God is blessing your socks off, but also when things are going rough, when when God seems far off, when it's hard to believe, when when your prayers aren't being answered, that kind of faithfulness. Love 
in endurance. And then gentleness. It's love at school. Because gentleness um, means willing to be taught. The, the Greek word uh, translated gentleness here also carries the idea of, of humility. Gentle people don't need to defend themselves. They don't need to brag about themselves or draw attention to themselves or be know-it-alls. They're, they're free to care about others, to admit when they're wrong, to learn from anyone. Love at school. And last is self-control, love and discipline. It's, it's the mastery of self which allows us to hold our tempers and frustration, to, to beat our addictions, to, to live up to our resolutions and our promises, and to maintain our disciplines, all of which frees us up to love other people better the way they need to be loved. That's the fruit of the Spirit. It's love worked out in each and every situation and aspect of life. It's actually the very character of God. And if you're God's child, then, then God's Spirit is making you this way. Are you cooperating? Sometimes. Imagine a world where, where people treated each other this way based on this fruit. <laughs> that world is coming. It's coming. And we in God's family are invited to be the ones among whom it comes first. That's why we're called the first fruits. Because when God's Spirit comes among us, this kind of love is the fruit which results. Notice Paul doesn't say these are the works of the Spirit or the acts of the Spirit or even the deeds of the Spirit because this way of living and being is not something we can take charge of or just will to perform. It's, it's more organic than that. You see, the way the Galatians were, were trying to live good lives by, by keeping the law is, is kind of like decorating a Christmas tree, living by the law. We take an ordinary evergreen tree, we cut it down, we bring it inside, we, we dress it up, and it looks beautiful, right? For a while. But it's kind of high maintenance. We, we've got to keep up appearances. We've got to water it every day. We've got to sweep away the needles that are falling. But still, eventually, it dries up, it drops all its needles, it goes brown, because it actually has no life in it. It's all just a beautiful facade, a facade which can't last. And that's what legalistic religion is like. R religion that's just about trying harder to keep the rules. But, but in your heart, your desires are really still just the flesh desires in many cases. Contrast that with a fruit tree. It's not as beautiful maybe as a Christmas tree. It's, it's imperfect. It's, it's ordinary. But a fruit tree is alive. It's got deep roots which go down into the nourishing soil and, and out of itself, the fruit tree produces beautiful blossoms in spring and then in summer and fall, it begins to produce fruit. Fruit that when it's ripe, you can, you can eat. Nourishing fruit, sustaining fruit, delicious fruit. That's what the Spirit does in our lives. As God comes to be present within us to produce God's own character in our lives, authentically, organically, for real. Now that doesn't mean it's easy. <laughs> that no effort or hard work is required. No, fruit trees have to be watered, they have to be fertilized, they have to be pruned in order to be fruitful, and so do we. So practically, we can go to the black now. Um, how do we live this out? How do we live this out? Well, Paul tells us in verse 25, 
Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. How do we do that? Well, let's go back to the little disagreement Ann and I had in the kitchen a while back. I was feeling angry at her and hurt and defensive, like I wanted to lash out. And those were flesh responses. But I also had these other thoughts, these little quiet promptings put there by the Spirit, little whispers which said, slow down. Maybe she's not really criticizing you. Maybe she's just expressing a need that she has or a frustration that she has. Do you care about her? Are you willing to listen? Paul says the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And so they're in conflict with each other. And so the question is, which way am I going to go in that moment in the kitchen? Which kingdom do I want to belong to? And Paul reminds me, Paul reminds us, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Because God's kingdom is coming. The kingdom of love. And we who belong to Jesus, who are God's children, have signed up to begin living in that kingdom now. So let's take a minute and respond. If we could put the list up there again of the acts of the flesh. The next slide. What are the flesh acts, the, the, the flesh desires, which we find ourselves struggling with? I want to invite each of us to take a minute silently and think, which flesh desires do you struggle with? Maybe in the area of sexuality? Or maybe looking to other spirits, other religious sources for power, for direction, for fulfillment instead of to Jesus? Or, or maybe in your relationships, trying to get along with others, maybe that's where you struggle. Or, or maybe it's your appetites for food, for drink, for substances. Today we should probably add entertainment, the internet, video games, etc. Take a minute and ask yourself, um, what are a few of these flesh desires which I struggle with? And just name them within your own heart. I'll give you a minute to do that. If you're not aware of any, you might ask the Spirit to show you. Now as we move to the next slide, the next portrait, let's move on to the Spirit. What does the Spirit want to say to you about those things, those flesh struggles? What little nudgings, what little promptings has the Spirit been giving you to move you in a new direction so that you bear the Spirit's fruit, so that you move in the way of love, to, to live into the kingdom 
which is coming? Do, do you hear those promptings or have they become so faint because you've been ignoring them for so long? I want to give you a minute to, to think about how the Spirit might be prompting you to respond to those flesh desires. Don't put words in the Spirit's mouth. Try to listen for what the Spirit's saying. And so the question for each of us and for us as a community is, will we listen for the voice of the Spirit? And will we say yes to those little promptings? Will we, will we nurture those little blossoms that the Spirit is trying to bring to life within us? Will we stir them up? Will we fertilize them? Will we walk in the way of the Spirit so that we can bear the Spirit's fruit? I'll give you a minute if you want to say yes to some of those things right now. And as you do that, I also invite you to think, is there someone that you might share this with? Um, someone to encourage you, someone to pray for you, someone to keep you accountable, to, to share the journey with. Our vision as a church is that we'd be transformed, right? Transformed by God for love and for mission in a changing world. And, and this is how it happens as we partner together in, in learning to walk and to keep in step with the way of the Spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you for coming down to be present among us. You're too holy to come among us, but you made a way by sacrificing on the cross, by um, taking away our unholiness, so that you could be free to be among us, to be in our hearts, to change us, to shape us, to fit us for the kingdom of love, that we would live into it, that we would grow in it now, and that we will come to anticipate and stand for it and pursue it until the day when your kingdom fully comes and all is love and all is peace. We look forward to that day. In Jesus' name, amen.